Tell us a little bit about what you saw and, and, and being able to relay that message to Cora when you watched Kimbrel pitch and, and kind of help out so he wasn't uh, tipping his pitches. So tipping pitches, we hear about it all the time. People at home understand what tipping pitches is all about. It's amazing, man. And that's remarkable. All right, I'm here with body language doctor Alex Baisley. He's here to take me through what he saw last night between Draymond Green and Kevin Durant. This is tipping <laughs> passes. We're back and better than ever. What did you see from that argument? I know you're a Warriors fan. Can you put your feelings aside and tell me what you really honestly think about what happened last night? Is this the end of the Warriors dynasty? This is, we're going to look back on this moment and and know that this is where it all began, man. Um, I... Steph, the the dad left home. All of a sudden, the kids started fighting. I mean, this was tough, man. Uh, I, I it wouldn't surprise me if uh, Draymond came out of the locker room with a black eye today. I mean, it it was that bad. So, uh, so this is this is tough. This is really tough to watch. And uh, this is where Sean Livingston gets to take the reins of the whole dynasty from here on out. When you uh, title this episode, and when you write you know seo or whatever and you tag this episode on wordpress when you post it i want you to put kevin durant announces he's leaving golden state warriors featuring draymond green and everyone (laughs) who comes to the podcast will be very surprised when they find out halfway through we switched to talking about socialist baseball things (laughs) (laughs) yeah but we're gonna make so much money off this one episode oh yeah all two cents a listen is just gonna that's just gonna rack up quick man oh it's gonna roll in oh just kidding we're here to talk about baseball offseason. Alex, this is, I guess, a, a light foray into season two of Tipping Pitches. Our uh, loyal listeners will notice the last episode, we switched up the logo on y'all and we uh, we got a slightly upgraded intro song. So we're calling this hashtag season two. And I hope y'all are along for the ride with us. Yeah, this is, we, we just completed our, our first full season as under the moniker of tipping pitches. And uh, and we've really come a long way, Bobby. We've seen some things. We've had some laughs. We've cried. We've uh, we stayed up way too late into the night. And, and now we're here just pushing right on through. Um, I guess this is as good a time as any to introduce ourselves. I'm Bobby Wagner. I'm Alex Paisley. And like we said, this is Tipping Pitches. Alex, we're back, and our beloved Bryce Harper is kind of in the news. He's in the soft news. <laughs> He's in the news that I'm making into news, and that is he will be on the cover of MLB The Show 2019. The fun part of this is that we're not really sure what jersey he's going to be into, so as of now, the cover art mock-up is him in a hoodie. <laughs> Just a regular old white and black hoodie, him and his combed over beautifully coiffed hair and his perfectly kept beard are just chilling on the front. I'm not going to do the cliched, what uniform is he going to end up in? Um, I do want to kind of get your opinion on, is this what kind of decision is this to put a player on the cover without a baseball uniform on? Is this another bad hashtag bad MLB marketing campaign? <laughs> That's actually pretty funny when you put it that way, honestly. <laughs> um uh, I, I don't know, man. I One has to think that uh, supposedly he's probably not going to sign until January-ish, probably not until after 
Machado signs, I think. So uh, we may have to wait a little while, but he does look suave as ever in this. That beard is looking mighty fine. Uh, that luscious hair of his, like he doesn't need a jersey to look good and market himself. I mean, Bryce Harper could could market himself in a freaking t-shirt, man. So uh, I, I like this, but I'm excited to see what jersey he actually does ultimately end up wearing, as I'm sure you are. I actually think this kind of works in favor of them. Are you ready for me to just kind of praise the MLB for a sec real quick? I'm season two uh, where no. we're having a change of heart. <laughs> Loyal tipping pitching listeners, close your ears. No, I mean, it's not like I'm going to give him a huge pat on the back or anything, but the intrigue is is there. It would be nicer if he was like wearing a Cubs uniform or a Yankees uniform or a Dodgers uniform or whatever, and they could just really lean into the big market aspect of it. But uh, I'm reading this article from Polygon, which I guess is like a video game website. Not really sure. Shout out to Polygon. Um, I, I work next to them at Curved. Oh, really? Is this yeah. Vox's video game website? Yeah. Oh, the more you know. How about that? <laughs> Media 2018. Um, <laughs> everyone just has a trendy sounding name that I'm not really sure what it means. <laughs> yeah, you're like, I don't even know what this website actually writes about or does, but their logo's cool and it's catchy. Polygon, that's a thing that I kind of know what it is. Um, <laughs> they they write that free agents have kind of created a problem for the video game world in the last few years. Uh, NBA 2K19 had LeBron on the cover, but they weren't sure where he was going to go. I mean, everyone kind of knew he was going to go to the Lakers, but... He was announced while he was still a free agent. And then Cristiano Ronaldo on the cover of FIFA 19 was transferred to Juventus. And then the year before for NBA 2K uh, was when Kyrie was on the cover as a Cavalier. And they had all the, I remember seeing in New York, they had all those posters up and then they had to change them to Celtics uniforms, (laughs) which was really awkward because after he got traded, I was just going around taking pictures of all the Cavaliers posters for 2k18 <laughs> in new york city and being like yo what's good guys <laughs> which i'm sure was i'm sure it was a frustrating situation for the video game companies so maybe bryce will make his decision early and he'll do mlb the show a favor i mean i think it's funny with lebron they kind of avoided it entirely because they only did like a headshot of him so you don't see any jersey and you kind of avoid it but like bryce it's kind of just glaring at you like it kind of just looks like he's you know, going out to a bar to like meet his bros and then he's carrying his baseball bat because like, I don't know, that's what Bryce Harper does. He's freaking Bryce Harper. Um, it, it it looks kind of out of place, certainly. I think it's uh, interesting, certainly, that uh, they have a bunch of his accomplishments listed on there next to him and uh, and some future accomplishments as well. So predicted by MLB The Show, uh, such as World Series, is this like a title? Is this just he gets to the World Series? Uh, and then Cooperstown as well. They have Cooperstown under his list of accomplishments to come. So uh, these are some hot takes out here from MOB The Show. I respect their self-plug in that the one right before World Series is the show cover. You know, that old path that we always talk about. Once you get on the cover of the show, next stop, World Series. <laughs> I don't know. I guess we'll see. When you Google Bryce Harper real quick, literally the second result is Bryce Harper sweepstakes winner will have to risk $350 million black hole contract. Really? A black hole contract? You think that Bryce Harper is going to be so bad that teams are going to just be throwing $350 million just down the drain? Like, it's just going to disappear. Bryce Harper is going to become nothing. 
He's yeah, he's never gonna play again. Yeah. Wow. Can you imagine a world without Bryce? What a sad, sad world. Yeah, I don't want to think about that. <laughs> Something that I could stand to lose from my world, however, is our good friend Bill James. <laughs> <laughs> Nicely done. Thank you. I'm a professional now. <laughs> Alex, do you want to take us through Bill James, who is now wearing the title belt for King of Tweeting Through It? Oh, absolutely. This was this was a really uh, wonderful part of my, I guess, weekend or late last week. So Bill James, considered by many to be the father of sabermetrics, or at least one of the uh, one of the leading minds in like the the 80s and 90s. Um, someone gave him a Twitter for some reason, and everyone knows that you don't give anyone like over the age of 60 a Twitter. It's just a bad idea. You don't do it. But Bill has one and he's just, uh, he has just been going off and he posted a particularly spicy take of his. He currently works for the, uh, the Red Sox right now, I should say. So he's a part of a front office. Sorry. If you ask the Red <laughs> he Sox, he consults for them. He's not an employee of them. He's a consultant. Yeah. yeah but whatever. <laughs> Look at that fucking <laughs> they, roundabout way of getting out of that. Yeah, right. Uh, So he tweeted, he's now deleted this tweet, but the tweet read, if all the players retired tomorrow, we would replace them. The game would go on. In three years, it would make no difference whatsoever. The players are not the game any more than the beer vendors are. That is certainly a take. Wow. That's Galaxy Brain. He skipped all the first three steps and went straight to Galaxy Brain. This is astronomically bad. What on earth is this? Name this your is... favorite beer vendor. Go. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, they're an irreplaceable part. My favorite is the guy who yells beer here, which is every guy <laughs> at every Mets game. <laughs> oh, Bill, Billy, Billy, Billy. Should we even break this down, honestly, or should we just go straight into the roast? I don't even know, man. There's like, can we really take this? I will say, in all seriousness, this is why people freaking hate sabermetrics like stat people because they say stupid shit like this. Like, yeah, uh, like he gives us all a bad name. He does give us all a bad name. Us here who share our our deep love for stats. We just read off stats for this whole podcast. That's us. (laughs) Um, This is just an impressively bad take that's like crafted so perfectly that it just takes a jab right at everyone on baseball Twitter. You know, every once in a while you get one of those like silver bullet takes that just pierces through every corner of baseball Twitter and everyone thinks it's bad. And this is one of those takes and he's doing it without actually being explicitly racist, which is usually the silver bullet take that gets everyone out of their corners to, to be mad online. You know, in this case, he's just being dehumanizing. (laughs) So much better. I don't know. This is just, first of all, wrong. Second of all, uh, it goes against kind of the ethos of everything we talk about on this podcast, which is that there are a lot of really fun personalities that make actual baseball fans enjoy the game and that make the game worthwhile. My only, like my, my one final takeaway to Bill James as a person and entity is just like, just let people enjoy things, man. Yeah. Just like, if you live this joyless existence, just keep it to yourself and keep it off Twitter. Like if your if your life is really not enriched by knowing each individual guy and knowing the players and their quirks and their personalities and 
watching Yasiel playing for his tongue instead of just his 268 batting average or whatever, that's fine. You want to look at baseball players as just robots who are putting up numbers. Cool. To each his own, I guess. Sorry that you're a bad representation of the being the father of the statistical movement in baseball, but whatever. We'll move past you, you lame-ass white dude. <laughs> uh, let the rest of us enjoy baseball for what it is. Thanks. Yeah. Bye. Log yeah. off, by the way. <laughs> I'll show you how to do it if you can't figure it out. <laughs> yeah, he didn't back down, too. I mean, he doubled down on his on his ideas as people... I mean, he dove right into the mentions. Um, and, I mean, really what what worries me most about this is like his proximity to front offices and the level of the game that he's at um, makes one think that he's probably not the only guy who views this. I mean, maybe he's just a curmudgeonly old stat head who only does look at the batting averages or whatever. And then you roll your eyes and be like, all right, dude, you know, go back to your computer or whatever. But what's more concerning is that like, He's on the side of the table for the guys who, uh, of the people who pay these players, right? And the people who employ these players and the people who run these entire operations. And he's sitting there being like, you're replaceable. Um, you, all the labor that you do, it doesn't matter to us really at all, right? Like Bryce Harper, if you walked away, if you uh, decided to hold out for a contract, we'd move on. We'd forget about you, which is wrong, like fans would not forget that like to think that the players themselves are replaceable and that to the majority of fans like you were saying their personalities like like they make up so much of the game and clearly there is there's certainly a disconnect on the side of front offices and on the side of these kind of uh, sabermetricians that are aligned with ownership um but I don't know. It's it's kind of disheartening to hear, especially after like the free agency we had last offseason and more kind of rumblings about like labor issues, especially when minor leaguers are not paid like livable wages. Um, all of a sudden it's like, oh, Bill James is just saying the quiet part out loud, right? Like he's just saying yeah. the stuff that, that Dave Dombrowski doesn't want to say or Theo Epstein doesn't want to say or anything like that. So I hope Bill just retreats to, uh, I hope he just closes the laptop and walks away and gets outside for a little bit. Um, and I hope he he does a lot of soul searching on, on this astronomically bad take. The saddest part of this is that this is like a textbook dystopian apocalyptic argument capitalism bears out to. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Like this is what you would read in like some some novel about how all workers have just been replaced and repressed over long extended periods of time. And we all just let it happen. Like Bill James just took that and applied it to baseball. I'm like, Jesus, this is a <laughs> child's game. They're wearing tight pants. Yeah, this is like, like Let's or- Orwellian. I know. <laughs> it is a little Orwellian. Speaking of someone who wants to look at baseball in an Orwellian way. Uh, you are you are just, you are on fire with these transitions. I'm on tonight. a roll. Somebody stop me. <laughs> Paul Dolan. The, uh, the owner, controlling owner, owner, chairman, and CEO of the Cleveland Indians. Um, it leaked out recently from Buster Olney, uh, ESPN baseball reporter who needs a different Twitter picture, that the Indians are, quote, faced with market constraints and they will listen to trade offers from some of their veteran players this winter, according to sources. Kluber, Carrasco, Encarnacion, Gomes, etc., 
are all allegedly on the market, and Lindor and Ramirez are the ones who will definitely be held, which is insane. What an insane thing to read. The Indians are basically like, we'll trade all of our good players, and we'll keep two young players just so it seems like we still have a promising team and can still get people to come out to the stadium. This is, it's frustrating on two fronts, right? It's frustrating on the analytically driven side of my brain that's like, I want to see a little bit of competitive balance. I want to see another good team in the AL that could, in theory, stand up to the Astros, Red Sox, and Yankees, even though it didn't quite look like that last year. Um, but baseball is fickle, you know, a couple injuries this way, a couple bounces that way. Um, the Indians almost won a World Series two years ago and are still largely as good as they were then. And then the other side of my brain, the labor-concerned billionaires should be spending to the luxury tax because they can concerned part of my brain is like, oh, this is just a blatant cash grab. This is Paul Dolan, the owner of the Cleveland Indians, the controlling owner, who is related to James Dolan, who owns the New York Rangers and the New York Knicks, looking over there at the family tree and seeing, oh, he has slightly more billions of dollars than I do. Let me pinch more pennies from the Cleveland Indians so when I go home, I can uh, I can show off my shiny toy is making just as much money. I'm turning a bigger profit based off my revenue than I was last year when I wasn't even spending to the luxury tax. Yeah, it. I mean, this is such a typically stupid thing for an owner to say. Um, I mean, Dolan refuses to run the team at any sort of loss, even temporarily. Like this is, I think, just kind of a stated um, ethos of his, which it's like, my guy, you got to put money in to if you really want to get money out. And like, I, that's not my goal. I don't, I don't give a shit if you line your pockets, if you come out of this losing every day. Um, but if you, if you actually want to see any sort of rewards, any sort of pot of gold at the end of the rainbow, like you actually have to invest in this sort of thing. Um, I, ca- I cannot imagine that the Indians are just going to blow it all up because that would be incredibly stupid. Like this is their window and they have a lot of a lot of really talented players and my guess is that they are going to ask for so much in return if they are trading Kluber or Carrasco or anything like that. And I mean they have a ton of pitching, so like look, if you want to make your team better, fine, but actually frame it as making your team better like indicate to fans like you want to compete now uh it's so terrifying and i know as an ace fan it sucks to just have everyone feel like they're up for grabs in the offseason right um and so i feel for the fan base and i hope that they are actually reasonable this offseason because, like you were saying, I like seeing the Indians as another powerhouse uh, in the American League, kind of a balancing force. Can you imagine if, like, the Indians were bad next year or the the following year? Like, literally, the AL Central would just be an absolute sinkhole. Like, it'd just yeah. be a race to the bottom. So, Erase it from the internet. I don't even want to see it in my search yeah, results. Yeah, honestly. Uh, so yeah, I, I hope they hang around. But except for uh, your Minnesota Twins, don't talk shit on your own team now. That's just so that's your squad. Yeah, so true. Oh, we're taking the uh, we're taking the title next year, man. 
<laughs> Alex is like, on second thought, Paul, trade everyone. <laughs> <laughs> trade everyone to the Indians. <laughs> or you mean to the Twins? Uh, to the Twins. I don't even know my team, man. You're like, I kind of like the Indians too. <laughs> <laughs> the sad part about what you said, though, is that you don't actually have to put in money to get money out. When you're an MLB owner and there's revenue sharing and there's all these local TV deals, you can actually just rip the fan base off. Yeah. Kind of like the Wilpons have been doing to recoup their losses from the Bernie Madoff scandal. I mean, the Wilpons have been doing this for two decades now, a decade and a half now, and MLB hasn't put a stop to it. So clearly there's precedent for owners just being like, you know, I actually don't want to spend as much money as I could, and I'll just make all this money back. The Mets and the Indians both had the same payroll last year, $172 million. The luxury tax threshold is last for last year was $217 million. The Mets are in the biggest market in U.S. sports and in sports worldwide. They are a 40-minute train ride from the most valuable franchise that the United States has. And the and Indians yet, are in frickin' Cleveland. Which is like an underratedly large market for sports. The Cavs owner has spent over the into the luxury tax for the NBA for uh, they did it for the last four years that LeBron was here because their team was good and they had a chance to win. You know, you're saying you have quote unquote market constraints, and I understand that's a different sport, but like if you can't spend at least up into the $200 billion stratosphere when your team is really good, then that just means you're never going to be able to do it, which means you can't even approach the luxury tax threshold, which means you should sell the team. Can we? just do away with this idea of like market constraints at all because like every owner every single one is worth upwards of a billion dollars there's no market that is constraining your ability to spend no that market, money ba- or make yeah no the, the like like a small market does not exist like you have a billion dollars and you're spending it on a team, like that market is there. You create that market as soon as you touch down in that city. Um, it owners to, baseball yeah. owners love to talk about markets, but MLB is not a market. That's not. I mean, it is its own market, but we cannot think of market constraints as being tied to cities. They are influenced by cities, but you can't say that you have a market constraint because you live in Cleveland, or, or because your franchise is based in Cleveland. That's not how the market of the MLB works because MLB is a monopoly. It is not, for some reason, is not regulated by federal antitrust laws. It just gets a pass and it can repress workers' rights in the minor leagues because I guess it's fun for people to watch. There's really no reason. So market constraints doesn't really work. It's like this boogeyman that they can just throw out because no one really understands how Baseball owners have cornered this market and they share a ridiculous amount of revenue between 30 people and the rest of the people just try to parse half of it. It's insanely frustrating to hear people keep saying market constraints, market constraints. It's like baseball's version of corruption in Washington or drain the swamp. Like it, These are just phrases that, that have no root in anything. And nobody really understands it and it's a cute little thing that we can say to the media and in front of cameras. And... Honestly, I'm sick of it because the Indians are one of the most fun teams in baseball. And I would hate to see 10-win Francisco Lindor and 10-win Jose Ramirez be confined to having shit teams for the next 20 years of their career. 
because Paul Dillon one time was like, I only made $50 million this year in my bank account, not $58 million. It's ridiculous. In conclusion, the Oakland A's should sign Bryce Harper this offseason. You heard it here first. <laughs> it's going to happen. Uh, it's, yeah, that's, that's all I can say about it, man. Just go for it. Go all in. Chips on the table. So we talk a lot on this podcast about baseball's exclusionary nature um, and its pretty futile attempts to become more inclusionary, whether that is on the field or in front offices. And uh, and this past week, we got another news item to uh, to add another tally to our running list of uh, of just shitty things that happen in baseball organizations. All the so, times that baseball has let us down. Yes, all the times. Um, so this one comes from the Seattle Mariners, who were in the news because a recently fired, released, we don't quite know, a doctor who was like the head of their strength and conditioning program came out with some pretty strong accusations of racism and sexism at like the highest rungs of that organizational ladder. Uh, she named names. She gave anecdotes. It, this was some pretty heavy stuff. And we still kind of don't really know all of the details. The Mariners have pretty much denied all of this, uh, as they would. But um, it, it really all started when this, uh, this doctor, uh, Lorena Martin, who the Mariners hired to be the their director of high performance, which is like the player's physical and mental training. She made a post on Instagram basically saying that uh, Jerry DePoto and manager Scott Servais and uh, this other employee called Latinos lazy and dumb and stupid, especially Dominicans. And, uh, and she goes on to say leadership is to blame under Jerry Depoto's leadership, no team has made it to the playoffs, and the, and will continue to miss the playoffs with him in his position. Poor leadership, Bobby. First reactions to this somewhat shocking, maybe not so shocking revelation. Yeah, first reaction is it's not that shocking. Um, take the names away. You take the re like the reality of the situation away, since we don't really know you know what's true and what's not just if you look at it at face value and say could this happen in an mlb franchise i think the answer is a resounding yes based off every episode we've ever done of this podcast and every depressing ass baseball article that i've ever read about how organizations target certain types of players how organizations sweep certain things under the rugs I think systematically, this is something that's extremely possible. And that's why I'm inclined to believe that this or a version of this happened. And I'm inclined to believe Dr. Lorena Martin. I, I mean, I obviously can't speak intelligently to the actual 
explicit accusations that she levied against Scott Cervais, the manager, and Jerry DePoto, the GM. Uh, just a legendary takedown by saying he'll never make the playoffs. Um, <laughs> I do have to throw that in there. But you could pretty much apply this to any MLB franchise and be like, yeah, that could happen. And that's like the that's a huge problem. I think that goes without even saying that that's a huge problem, but a lot of people wouldn't say that. Um, and a lot of people don't say that. Like, I think back to like last offseason, last winter, I remember us doing an episode about the allegations against Miguel Sano and how it happened to a team contracted photographer, how she was the one who was accusing Miguel Sano of, you know, sexual assault and battery. And I, I think back to the factors that went into that and how that is an organizational matter. It happened to someone who was though part-time and, and though contracted and not full-time employed by the twins organization was still on their payroll and how nothing really came of it. Miguel Sano wasn't suspended, um, if I'm remembering that correctly. And we just kind of moved on. And he just kind of hit home runs. And now he's just kind of going into next year. And so, you know, not to say that these two incidents are the same, but I think a lot of the factors of power being funneled into pyramid structures in baseball organizations are some of the things that allow things like this to happen. And I hope to know more. I hope we get concrete answers because a lot of the times MLB will do a quote-unquote investigation and the findings will remain private and uh, action will be taken from there. I'm hoping it's a little more public than that. Um, but I imagine they have the whole offseason to figure it out. And I'm sure if if this is figured out to be, because this is so public already, um, at this early of a stage, I'm sure if this is, if MLB finds this to be true, I'm, I'm sure everyone involved will lose their job. And it's sad that I have to say, like, because this is so public already. But like, if you want to look back on an example of how private things don't have as big consequences in Major League Baseball, just look back to the Major League Baseball advanced media case, which we also have talked about on this podcast. Yeah, I'm depressed now. Alex, you want to take it away? <laughs> Uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't think I'm going to make things any better. Um, there are so many layers to this, and it speaks to conversations that we've had before on this podcast about why baseball is filled with white dudes and why that's what makes up much of its fan base. And then stories like this come out, and you're like, oh, yeah, that's uh, that makes a lot of sense now. Um, I think that. This is very emblematic of why the a baseball team wouldn't necessarily feel like a safe space for someone who is not a white guy, for a woman, or a person of color, or both. Um, and it 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 just speaks to not only an issue within the Mariners themselves, which I mean, clearly that is a a messed up organization, but it goes just beyond the organization because while we don't know what goes on in other front offices uh, or other uh, in other teams behind the scenes, uh, I would think that a lot of this stuff, which is as simple as like casual racism and casual sexism, like this stuff happens. These were not 
hate crimes that were, com- were that were committed against her. These were just comments made in passing conversation, right? The kind of thing that where these people felt okay to say this to her face, you know, um, which makes me think that like these three people are probably not the only ones who have committed this sort of thing. The, the, there was like this, she quoted the director of player development, Adam McKay in here as, uh, as calling Dominic, you know, Dominican players lazy and they're stupid. You know, they're just stupid. How are you going to get them to buy into the, to the culture? And frankly, it makes me think of what we were talking about earlier on this podcast with regards to Bill James and how these players are viewed as fungible. You can take them in and out. They are not humans. They are just toys, essentially, and people who can be swapped out, and they really serve to just better the the interests who kind of live um, on these upper rungs of the ladder. And so I think that all these stories just reinforce each other and kind of give us a, a greater sense of how deeply flawed the underlying structure of the game is. I mean, the fact that we got these two stories in one week that showed, you know, just how blatantly people in high positions of power uh, disregard these people, you know? I It certainly doesn't make me feel optimistic uh, for the near future. I, I also wanted to um, kind of parse one part of the accusation in, in which she said she overheard. I forget who it was that she was quoting or, or if it was even reported who she was quoting, but someone involved in the Mariners organization saying that some of these factors that they had identified in, in that Latin players and Dominican players not being as hardworking or not being as intelligent about the game. And that's why you don't see as many as at the positions of catcher or even as managers. I want to kind of take a second to debunk that on its face. Um, and that we, it's sort of like a reinforcing cycle of racism right there, right? Like we haven't given these people this many opportunities in the past. And so therefore we do not have a model for success. And therefore, that must cycle back to the reasons that we didn't give them opportunities in the past in that we think they wouldn't have done a good job in these roles, which is just insanely and flagrantly racist thing to say as anyone in an organization, in an organization, let alone at the top of an organization. And I think that speaks back to the real world consequences of not having diverse managers and not have, not giving players opportunities to play whatever position suits them best, kind of the politics that factor into who plays what position on the diamond. It's sort of hard to remember why diversity is so important sometimes when you're just watching a 162-game baseball season and you see a decent amount of diversity on the team. You see a lot of Spanish-speaking players throughout the game. You see some progress being made on those fronts. But then you think back to a thing like this, you think back to people in decision-making positions thinking that, Dominican former players or or people from the DR shouldn't be managers. And you remember, oh, that's why we're still not even close to where we need to be. That's why that's why Alex Cora being the first Puerto Rican uh, manager to win a World Series this year is fucking insane thinking about the kind of influence that people from Puerto Rico have had on Major League Baseball and and the game of baseball in general. 
And then you have a story like this come out weeks later. It just reminds you not to let your guard down about how far the game still needs to go, I think. Yeah, I believe uh, Dr. Martin that she did experience these things. I don't, I honestly don't know the degree to which she experienced all these things. If all of these are direct quotes, um, I, uh, you know, if you can take it as gospel or not, but um, I, I certainly believe that uh this is a a pretty prevalent mindset because this is not the this is not the first time we've faced these issues right there's a reason that like we've discussed this stuff before and that we see columns being written written along these very same lines and it's let's be honest right her logic checks out is yeah. basically what you're saying yeah, you know essentially the factors that she's talking about they're there um the specifics of this case notwithstanding like go find old new york post columns about robinson cano go find announcers saying questionable things even this year like it's all there so yeah well the like the the first step is talking about this and i i commend her for coming out and actually calling out the organization because that's not an easy thing to do she has nothing to gain from that and frankly i would not be surprised if she it torpedoed her any potential for her to have a continuing career in Major League Baseball just because I don't know why a front office would really want to go near that because they see her as a liability or something like that. Um, but the fact that she felt like she had to actually come out and make a statement about these things is incredibly commendable. So I tip my cap to her on that. I celebrate with a toast, bro. Do you know if you with me, we homebound. I need a city to hold down. You niggas gave me a coast. You went and gave me a cake. But that never gave me no hope. Yeah. I found a new way to Are you ready to get a slow clap going for my boy Tim Tebow? I'm so ready. Tim. Tim, 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 Triple A Tim, Alex. What is up? I I don't know anymore. I I love when you I, get I love when we talk about this segment ahead of time. Like when we're planning the podcast, let's take people behind the curtains a little bit. Yeah. It's late, we're tired, we're gonna take people behind the curtains. We're planning the podcast, and you usually come to me and you're like, Oh, there was some news about Tim. You know, he's gonna start in triple A or he you know, he broke his handmate bone or he is doing well or I saw a video of him on Twitter or whatever. And you share that news with me and you're like, oh, yeah, we'll just tack that on the end. We'll be the Tim Tebow power hour or whatever. That'll be great. Good yeah. last segment. Good way to take us out. It's very on brand. And then we record the whole podcast. We talk about heavy factors like <laughs> racism and sexism and billionaires leveraging their power and capitalism and all these things and we get to the end and we're like this is a stupid thing that we do just at the like, end about Tim I don't know why are we talking about like, Tim Tebow I don't know. <laughs> you're always like oh, I guess I mean I guess I have thoughts about this yeah what are, what are my thoughts even about Tim Tebow anymore I'm all I'm all thinked out uh, I mean we have a we have a Brody quote of a Van Wagenen quote our boy BVW he, uh, he told AP, he said, <laughs> he called him Timmy, just like us. See, you and me, Brody, we're, we're more alike than you think. He said, <laughs> he said, Timmy is not a guy you want to put restraints on. If he sees a block, he's going to work that much harder to go overcome whatever somebody places on him. 
I believe in him. Wait, and what was the quote? If he if he sees a block? Yeah, yeah. Brody you know, is like a just robot. Like a, Normal a people block. don't talk like that. <laughs> oh, a block. You mean a roadblock? <laughs> <laughs> oh, we're making fun of Brody, our guy. I know, I know. Yeah, so Timmy T at AAA. Uh, Do you think Tebow is insulted that he's like 33 and they still call him Timmy? Yeah. I guess coming from someone who's just planning on going by Bobby for the rest of his life, I shouldn't <laughs> shouldn't be talking shit, you know? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Self-realization on the pod in the last five minutes. I am ex- as excited as anyone to take Spirit Airlines from Los Angeles to JFK so that I can hop on the train and I can meet you at City Field to see Tim Tebow's first reel at bat in a Mets uniform because it's definitely happening this year. If he's starting a AAA, you know he's getting called up when the Mets are 60 and 75. <laughs> I, I he really he actually is, honestly. Like you got to you got to assume that him and Brody are like kind of chummy, you know? Like they seem like the kind of people who would probably pal around together like you think so? Uh, yeah, probably. I don't know. I don't they, think so. I, Brody doesn't strike me as God-fearing enough for Tim. Brody yeah. strikes me as like a little bit of a partier. Yeah, but like maybe... Like a little bit of a keg stand, latent Southern racism kind of rich kid vibe. Yeah, but like maybe uh, Timmy seem, sees like a like a mission for him, you know, like he is God's oh, okay. mission to, to bring Brody to the light, um, to, to bring him away from the fast cars and the girls and the money and, and help him, uh, hear the, the word of the good Lord. Um, so yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll see, man. Okay. I see, I see where you're going with that then trying to make the Mets into a more righteous franchise. I'm yeah, down. Exactly. I'm game. Honestly, give Tim the reins to the organization, make him GM. <laughs> In God we trust. Um, meet the Mets just takes on a totally different <laughs> connotation. It's like <laughs> instead of uh, meet the Mets in like the classic like upbeat kind of sing songy vibe that it's in, it's just like straight gospel music. <laughs> it's just like a church choir out of nowhere. I'm like, what the fuck is going on? Honestly, you can go nowhere but up at this point. Nowhere but up, straight to the Lord. Okay. <laughs> that has been our Tim Tebow update of the offseason. Our first one, hopefully we get many to come about his progress from recovering from the hand injury. Alex, this was a fun one. We said we would keep it short, and we lied to ourselves because that's what we do. Yep. Um, we appreciate any and all listeners. Go ahead and share us. Tipping Pitches Season 2 is here, y'all. We're just re-releasing whenever we want to, like we're Supreme or some shit. Um... <laughs> Alex, you got anything else for the people? No, I think that that's about it. If you have any Bill James takes that you want to send our way, though, please, please do that. Uh, On the Tipping Pitches account, we resurfaced his take about triple bigotry against old white men. (laughs) And frankly, it's one of the best takes I have ever seen on that dumb as hell website just in the history of time. So true unicorn of a take. It it really is. So please send more our way because we just can't get enough of it. All right. Catch you next week. I want to know if you can get to
Let's go.